All right, well, we're going to take a look at the context of Psalm 52 together. Um, and the context comes in 1 Samuel. But let me read uh, the title of Psalm 52. You should have it in your outlines there, or if you've got a Bible with you, open them up to Psalm 52. We read this in the title. For the director of music, a mascal of David. When Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Now, who on earth is Doeg, who is Ahimelech? And when did uh, Doeg say to Saul that David has gone to the house of Ahimelech? Maybe if you know your Bibles really well, you know this story, but I know it was quite unfamiliar to me when I first read that. So let's have a look at the context to this title. It comes in 1 Samuel. Now, in 1 Samuel, we get the story really of David and Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel, and David, the greatest king of Israel. And in chapter 17, there's the really famous story of where David sort of rises to prominence when he, just, he kills Goliath. You would have all heard that probably in Sunday school. So then in chapter 18, uh, David, he gets promoted by Saul to be kind of the general of the army. And he gets sent out in battles and he starts winning every battle he has. And the people get to know and love David. But Saul gets really jealous of David, And he gets, gets jealous because of this. We read in 1 Samuel 18 that when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful song and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And unsurprisingly, Saul, as the king, doesn't really like this. So as we read on, it says, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They had credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Saul is paranoid. He sees the people starting to side with David. They're seeing David as greater than Saul, but Saul is the king. This could almost be a a scene from Roman history uh, uh, where there's this tussle for power, where there's a Caesar or a Brutus or a Pompey fighting for the throne. Saul is paranoid that David is going to get the kingdom to the point where in chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David. And unsurprisingly, David flees from Saul in chapter 20. And he flees, and then in chapter 21, he arrives at Nob. Nob is a place, it's a small town where the priests dwell, just outside of Jerusalem. And in chapter 21, verse 1, we read that David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. There's the first character in our title. This is Ahimelech, who David went to the house of. David goes to Ahimelech's house and he needs supplies. He's been fleeing from Saul, he's hungry, his men need supplies. And David kind of tricks Ahimelech into giving him some bread. But not just any bread, the consecrated bread that was before the Lord. Um, You may have known this story from when Jesus and his disciples are out in the field and they're picking grain. And the Pharisees say, hey, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus says... Don't you know that even David went and ate the consecrated bread when he really needed it? 
but I go in the wrong direction. We come back to the story of David. He takes the bread and he eats it, but then right at the end of the story, we get this little side note. We see in 1 Samuel 21 verse 7 that one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. And this is just a little aside mention in the story, but it's kind of ominous. You kind of could picture if this was a movie, the, the sound would start going, dun, 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 Doeg's there. What is Doeg doing there? Why is Samuel mentioning that Doeg is there when David takes the bread? Well, we get the answer as we read on. David goes on and he gets some supplies from Ahimelech. He also gets Goliath's sword, which just happened to be there. And he heads on to the next town. But now remember, Saul is after David at this point. Saul wants David's head. So he calls all of his officials together to see if any of his officials know where David is. But none of them know. That is, except for Doeg. Doeg pops up again in chapter 22, verse 9. It says, But Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So this is where the title of our psalm comes from. This is the scene. Doeg is dobbing on David. And you might think at this point, well, what did Doeg do wrong? He's just a bit of a dibby-dobber. Well, the story, it gets a lot worse from here. See, as we read on, Saul then goes to Nob the town and he confronts Ahimelech the priest. And in 1 Samuel 22, we read that Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me and the son of Jesse, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him? so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. But Ahimelech the priest, he answers the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. Saul comes and confronts Ahimelech the priest, and he's an innocent bystander. He says, I've, I've, I've supported David before. He is the general of your army. What is, it's not a crazy thing for me to give him what he needs. But king, the king, Saul, he's not convinced. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. So the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. This is preposterous. Saul the king wants to kill the priests of the Lord. And even his officials know this is outrageous, so they won't raise their hand against them. But sadly, Doeg pops up one more time. As we read on, the king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. 
That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men, its women, its children and its infants, and its cattle, donkeys and sheep. This is the context of our psalm today. This is Doeg, the Edomite, who went to Saul and told him that David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Who is Doeg? What did he do? Well, Doeg was a man who deceived David, who saw an opportunity and he took it. And he killed God's people. So with this context in mind, now let's look at Psalm 52 together. For the director of music, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Now as we read Psalm 52, it can just sound a bit like a a vengeful letter from David against Doeg, can't it? David is obviously angry at Doeg. But we don't know if Doeg actually ever heard this psalm, if he ever got the letter. But what we do know is in the title it says, this is a psalm for the director of music or to the choir master. See, this isn't a psalm for Doeg. This is a psalm for God's people. It's a bit like an open letter that maybe you'd find in the newspaper. It could be directed at a politician or someone important, But that politician may never get that letter. Really, it's a letter for the people to read to see. This psalm, Psalm 52, isn't a psalm for Doeg, it's a psalm for God's people. And if this was an open letter, I think the title would be something like that this psalm is about God's throne and God's glory. You'll see that on your outlines. See, this psalm is set in that context, that, that feeling like the kingdom is up for grabs, where David is, on, is fleeing from Saul. Saul is pursuing him, trying to kill him. It's all about God's throne and who's going to take it. But it's also a psalm about two people. It's a psalm about one person who pursued their own glory and another person who pursued God's glory. 
So the psalm is kind of in two sections. You would have seen as we read through that verses 1 to 7, well, they're directed towards Doeg. They're words against Doeg, a man who pursued his own glory. But then in the last two verses, it changes. There we have words from David, a man who pursues God's glory. So let's have a look at this psalm together and let's look at that first section. How does Doeg pursue his own glory? Well, he does it through deceit and destruction. Look at what David says in the first four verses. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? He starts sort of sarcastically. Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You practice deceit. Your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Doeg is a man of deceit and destruction. And he uses that to pursue his own gain. He sees an opportunity where Saul's uh, officials won't step up and he thinks, here's my chance for a bit of glory, for a bit of honour before Saul. But what Doeg does might impress Saul, but it doesn't impress God. Look at what verses 5 to 7 says. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous, they will see and fear. They will laugh at you saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. David here, he proclaims, God will judge you, Doeg, for what you have done. God's judgment is going to come on the one who pursues his own glory, who trusts in wealth and destroys others to get to the top. And now we've been looking at the Psalms as the church for a little while now, and we've already heard warnings about this kind of person. In Psalm 49, we were warned about those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. And then again in Psalm 50, God is rebuking those who use their mouth for evil and harness their tongue for deceit. We've been set up to not like this kind of guy. And in Psalm 52, we get the ultimate example of the one who seeks deceit and destruction in Doeg the Edomite. And the psalm says, you will be judged for what you do, Doeg. But then you'll notice that the tone of the psalm shifts quite dramatically in verse 8. There we have Doeg contrasted to David, the one who does trust in God. What does David do in the next two verses? Well, he trusts God and he pursues God's glory, not his own. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. What does David do? Well, he trusts in God. He longs to praise God and he puts his hope in God. But you might ask, well, how on earth is David so confident in his position 
when he's at this moment in time fleeing from the king who's trying to kill him. Remember, this context of this psalm that we got from the title is the kingdom's up for grabs. Saul is pursuing David and he's trying to kill him. And there's this power struggle between Saul and David over who is going to be king. And interestingly, in the psalms, the next few psalms that we read are all set in this context. If you look at the titles of the next few psalms, we get a lot of the context of David on the run. And he's writing these psalms. This whole context is kind of up for grabs. It seems like things are chaotic. It seems like David's on the run and he's surely going to die. Saul's after him. How can David be so confident in where he is when things seem so unstable around him? Well, it's because David knows God has already made his decision about who will be king. See, back even before the story of David and Goliath, we have 1 Samuel 14 and 15. Uh, Sorry, 15 and 16. And in those chapters, God has already rejected Saul as his king because Saul didn't trust in the Lord. And then we read something really interesting in chapter 16. Samuel then comes to Jesse's house and Samuel takes the horn of oil and anoints him, that is David, in the presence of all of his brothers. And it says this, And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel leaves, he goes to Ramah. And in the very next verse we read, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. See, before any of this has already taken place, God has already made his decision. God has already anointed David as the king. How can David trust in God? Well, David knows this throne is not up for grabs. This throne is not going to be won by human power. No, this is God's throne. The throne of Israel isn't a human throne. It is God's throne and God has already made his decision. God has already anointed David as a young man as the next king even before Saul chases him and tries to kill him. That's why in verse 8, David says, I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. His unfailing love is that chesed word again in Hebrew. That is his covenant, promise-keeping love. God trusts that David has been... uh, David trusts that God has made him a promise that he will be king. So even though this scene seems chaotic, even though it seems like the throne is up for grabs, David is confident in the Lord. We get a wonderful picture of this at the beginning of the Psalms. We have Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, kind of an introduction to the book. And in Psalm 2 we read, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, that is the king, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my 
holy mountain. See, this is God's throne. This can't be taken by human force. And David trusts in God. David pursues after God's glory and not his own because he knows that God is the one who decides who's king. God is the one who installs his king on Zion. Not Doeg, not Saul. God. So what can we take from this psalm today? Well, I want to take a couple of things from this psalm. The first thing is confidence. See, a psalm like this, it gives us confidence that God has installed his king. Even in the midst of a context where it seems like the kingdom is up for grabs and there's turmoil and there's distress, we can have confidence that God has installed his king. God had already installed David as the king long before Saul and Doeg tried to take it. And just as he promised that he would install David as the king, well now for us we know he has installed one of David's descendants on the throne forever. See, Jesus is the king. No evil, no deceit, no destruction is ever going to dethrone him. So there have been many people and there are still people today who would love that throne, who would do anything to be the king of the world who would use power, who would use deceit and destroying others for their own glory. But the Lord has installed his king on Zion. There is one king in this world. In a world where it seems like there are many people vying for that title, his name is Jesus. God has installed his king. So we can have confidence, even though the world feels like it's in toil. Even though there's people that seem to rise up and these powers that be that rise up and seem to be against God's people. We can, just like David, trust, praise and hope in a God who keeps his promises. Jesus is the king of this world. But there's something else I want us to take from this psalm today, and that is a warning. So the story of Doeg in this psalm warns us about pursuing our own glory. So there's a little bit of Doeg in all of us, isn't there? A little part of us who wants to be important, who wants to do something to get praise. And we may never, and I hope we never, go to the lengths that Doeg did to earn that for ourselves. But there's lots of little ways in which our pride in which our desire for glory can affect those around us. Ways in which it can get into our marriages, into our friendships, into our work relationships, and even here at church. I know as I've been reading this psalm over the last couple of weeks, it's really warned me about my position as a pastor at church. A person who has an authoritative position. See, my job is not to build my kingdom. Salt's job is not to build Salt's kingdom. No, our job is to build God's kingdom. For God's king, there is one king, and we need to be careful 
about the ways in which we desire our own glory. But how can we do this? Well, we look to our King, don't we? The greatest example of living for others. We have the greatest example in Jesus of a King who was humble. The last place I want to take us to today is a beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 2. We looked at Philippians a few weeks, uh, a few months ago as a church. And in Philippians chapter 2, there is such a wonderful summary of what Jesus has done. I've got it on the screen so you don't have to flick to it. In Philippians chapter 2, oh, maybe I don't have it on the screen. Okay, flick to it. Do I? Oh, it's the wrong heading. Ah, great. That's, pretend that's Philippians chapter 2. Here we have the encouragement that in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what was that mindset? Well, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, we serve the humblest king that has ever been. A king that was so humble he would be born in a manger surrounded by animals and filth. And a king who was willing to humble himself even to the point of dying for people like us. This is our king. But as Philippians goes on, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus is our example of humility. Jesus is the one who we should follow as our King because he humbled himself for us. And because he humbled himself, he was exalted. He now sits enthroned as the King of this world, all to the glory of God. So let this psalm be comforting for us. Let it be a comfort just like David was comforted that the king has been installed. There is no other king. But let it also warn us about our own desires for glory. There is only one place in which we should put our glory and that is to God. That's what Jesus showed us. How about we pray to our wonderful King.